You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 267. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey san, hey san! All right, guys. New show, new week. Wow, and we've got so many things to talk about. The, the world is a... Oh, wow, this buzzing <laughs> with, <laughs> with all the new things happening around. The world is erupting. <laughs> the, oh, it's like an eruption. Oh, uh, there's, there's a new eruption. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what's going on in uh, Iceland. And in the last couple of weeks or months, there have been lots of earthquakes on the island yeah and uh they were expecting something to happen and then bang it was a beautiful lovely spread of lava that's uh been flowing on the surface not very far from the the capital Reykjavik or how do you how do you say Reykjavik 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 whatever I think so uh, yeah <laughs> but I'm not Icelandic <laughs> I know, but... What is as a Swede? How would you... <laughs> Isn't uh, Icelandic... How how far is it uh, linguistically from Swedish? It is clearly related, but very hard to understand, especially when you hear it spoken. Okay. But when you see it written, when I see it written, I can make my way through a lot of it. But I, I, I probably understand 50% of it. Mm-hmm. And from that, mm-hmm. you can you can sort of guess the, the context. Mm-hmm. And if somebody explains how the words relate, then I can see, oh, that's why they say this. Uh, the, uh, the shorthand is they put ur after every <laughs> Swedish word. Then you speak <laughs> Icelandic. So uh, a, a knife in Swedish is kniv. And in Icelandic, it's knivur. <laughs> and um, okay, uh, so it sounds much more uh, Viking. Yeah, it, there was a an Icelandic movie many years ago that was actually very good and be- became an international hit. It was called uh, uh, what was it called the 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 flight of the raven or something like that. And the whole movie they went around and, and talked about a, a very heavy knife. And heavy knife in Swedish would be. Tung kniv, but they said tungur knifur. <laughs> so they say tungur knifur all the time through, and I couldn't. I mean, f- for me, it sounds just funny. It took away a little bit from the seriousness of the movie. I must say. In German, knife is uh, called messer, so it's something completely different. But in my area, like where I grew up, in the dialect there, a knife is called knipchen, and this is completely related to knife or to right? knife. Absolutely, <laughs> yes, ah. to knive or to knife as well. So yeah. if you know how it, knife is spelt, it's with the K N. Yeah, yeah. Right? it's it's yeah. language. Language is just so cool, guys. <laughs> That's why a lot of people love English so much hmm. because it never sounds like how you actually spell it. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. a bug and a feature. <laughs> you know, my uh, two of my sisters uh, live in uh, the UK with their families, and uh, mm. that is to the dissatisfaction of my parents, uh, especially my mother. But they both keep learning English. Mm-hmm. So they practice English every day with Duolingo. Mm. Great. But th- the one thing that they can definitely not learn, at least not at this age, is the pronunciation. <laughs> oh, that's difficult. <laughs> and, th- and they complain a lot about how it's impossible to work it out because it's nothing like how you 
write it down it's completely different no no english spelling is a train wreck it is yeah it it was, it, you <laughs> know they, they sort of spell it like it was pronounced 500 years ago but not really because then they took in a lot of spelling rules from french as well yeah. which they didn't need and everything is just a mess yeah but french does have rules of pronunciation and english doesn't really i mean it occasionally does borrow that but <laughs> But the English borrowed the worst part of, of French spelling, like the silent E at the end of certain uh, of a lot of words, which has no purpose. Yeah, yeah it's like a buffet language. Yeah, they just right. took everything they liked. Yeah. And that's the language we decided to make the lingua franca for the most of the world. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, speaking of languages... Yeah. If you listen to the show and you understand Swedish, um, which some people do, I understand, mm -hmm. I just want to recommend you go to vof.se mm -hmm. and check out the Swedish Skeptics uh, calendar for because we are mm -hmm. creating more and more uh, things happening online, mostly in Swedish, of course. But uh, if you're interested in that, I, I suggest you check it out. Yeah, good. Go and do that. And um, if you understand Hungarian, then uh, by the time this goes out, it will be drawing near the moment when we start the collection of recommendations for the Flat Earth Prize mm. that uh, we'll, we'll be giving out to the most prominent disseminator of uh, false information and uh, misinformation in the country. Yeah. Do you have to be Hungarian to uh, get the prize? Yes, to get the prize and to nominate someone as well. So okay, yeah. how we do it is uh, we borrowed a method from the Occam's. Mm -hmm. So in the first round, the recommendations come in and the nominations come in from the general public and then we will decide on uh, who gets the prize out of a uh, selection of finalists that we will have All right. after a while. So the, the call for recommendations and nominations will be open for, for two weeks, starting on the 1st of April. So check out our uh, Facebook page where the, the actual nominations will be collected good yeah and then you will have the really wrong to to hand out one day when you have announced oh, yeah. who got the got the yeah. flat earth prize <laughs> yeah that might be true all right but what is definitely true is that we have an absolutely packed episode prepared for our <laughs> listeners so uh i suggest we move on to our first segment which is finding out what happened this week in skepticism Yes, so, on the 27th of March, 1845, Wilhelm Konrad Röntgen was born in Lennep, which is now a part of Remscheid, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> which means that's super close to me. Uh, I've actually been there, been at his house and stuff, because it's very close. Oh, good. Okay. And he was a German mechanical engineer and physicist who is well known for detecting electromagnetic radiation in a special wavelength called... X-rays. x Yay! <laughs> exactly. Or in German, um, Röntgenstrahlen, so Röntgen rays. Yeah, that's what we call it in Swedish as well. Yeah, in yeah, Swedish, yeah. 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 I, I read that, like in, in a lot of languages, yeah. Yeah, we we call that in Hungarian too. Yeah, right. So we, we just say Röntgen rays, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but go X is not his, in his name, right? So I don't know where the X came yeah. from. <laughs> yeah. Wilhelm X Konrad Röntgen. <laughs> oh, Wilhelm. <laughs> Maybe his second name was... Xylophone. <laughs> Xenophilius. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but um, he was a lecturer at a number of universities in Europe, like Strasbourg, Gießen, Würzburg, and Munich. And he also received a Nobel Prize, which also connects him to Sweden, I, I want to say. <laughs> Absolutely. And to just tell those listeners who maybe don't know, X-rays consist of high energy radiation, and they're mostly used in medicine um, to diagnose broken bones and tissue problems. They can also be used, for example, in crystallography <laughs> or other interesting things. Which was used basically to detect the structure of DNA. Yeah. X-ray crystallography. Yeah. yeah. So X-rays like, were really, really important to a lot of scientific studies and breakthroughs happening in the last century. Um, X-rays also made something like bullet removals and other surgeries possible. Other medical diagnostic tools like the um, CT also go back to that. Mm -hmm. And Röntgen rays are also hazardous. Um, you can have burns, hair loss and blistering if you use it too much and also <laughs> other things that can happen because they can ionize atoms and then disrupt molecular bonds. So they are not easy, happy-go-lucky <laughs> rays. <laughs> of which they had no idea at the beginning and this is what they did yes. everyone wanted a shot of their arms of their hands of everything yeah. because they had no freaking idea of how harmful it could be yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> no but it's pretty cool i can see the bones in my hand right okay they actually did shoe fitting with x-rays shoe <laughs> fitting yes of course yeah yeah Oh. And by now we know how dangerous that is, so you have to wear like this lead apron to protect um, everything in the nether regions. <laughs> and as a woman, you're also asked if you're pregnant. Like they really ask you like, hey, is there any possibility you're pregnant um, before they make an x-ray? Yeah. Does this metal protection against radiation remind you guys of something? <laughs> A tinfoil hat or something? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, it doesn't really protect you against uh, x-rays. That's a problem. No, but the tinfoil hats no. don't understand that. You need actual lead. Can you imagine a lead hat? That would be, Ooh, that pretty, would be heavy. <laughs> pretty heavy. That would be cool. <laughs> lead is poisonous too, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but... So is like Belladonna, for example. But yeah, let's not go there. And so is stupidity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there are real esoteric woo things that are sold against mobile phone waves or other kinds of mm -hmm. waves and, and radiations. Yeah. So yeah, without Röntgen, we wouldn't um, only miss huge parts of science and medicine today, mm -hmm. but we would also uh, miss a huge chunk of our uh, of the narrative on conspiracy theories <laughs> with like 3G and 5G and and all this harmful radiation <laughs> and um, electrosmog too. This also goes back to that. Yeah. So yeah, um, happy birthday, Wilhelm Röntgen, I would say. <laughs> oh, yeah, happy birthday, and thanks for that. That is so cool, and it's a, such a such a cool item of the history of science as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's unbelievable how how little people know about the fact that there is ionizing and non-ionizing radiation. Right. And they cannot tell the two from one another, and they cannot wrap their head around the fact that there is the kind of radiation that will not necessarily harm you. More on that later. <laughs> ah, call forward. Stay tuned for the advertisement break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So thank you very much again, Anika. Thank you. And uh, since I'm eager to find out what the Pope has been up to, let's see what Pontus has to poke the Pope for. 
Pope Francis' ban on blessing gay unions have not been well received neither inside nor outside the church. Uh, the response came last week as a reply to a so-called dubium, which is a question that comes from bishops when they want uh, the Pope to clarify something or other. I don't believe it's official who sent this dubium to the Pope, but everybody points to the bishops of Germany, uh, Annika. <laughs> Uh, because they are in the middle of a two-year synodical process trying to modernize the church and coming to grips on how, how the Catholic church can act in in the modern age. I think that's a, a, a bit late, but it's a good idea to, to try to figure that out. And that goes well with a reaction to the ban from uh, 230 professors of Catholic theology in um, Germany. And also other countries where German is spoken. Uh, and um, according to these 230 professors, they are not pleased with the outcome. Quote, we distance ourselves firmly from this position, end quote, they said. And they went on to say, we believe that the life and love of same-sex couples are not worth less before God than the life and love of any other couple. End quote. Nicely put. Good for them. So there are reasonable Catholic people in the world. <laughs> the ban also got uh, criticized by church representatives from Oceania, with statements from both New Zealand and Australia. Benjamin O, who is co-chair of the Advisory Board of Australian Catholics for Equality, had this to say, quote, the church has blessed all kinds of things, animals, cars, and even weapons used for the killing of other human beings. For many Catholic Christians, this statement flies in the face of Jesus' teaching of love, end quote. So um, people are not happy, um, but of course, Frankie also got support from a couple of cardinals, one being the only American cardinal, uh, Sean O'Malley of Boston, uh, but I guess that's just to be expected from, from cardinals and from American conservatives, of course. Speaking of cardinals, do you remember Cardinal Robert Sarah? Mm. The name sounds familiar, but I have no idea what the context was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me refresh your memory. He was the cardinal that wrote the defense of celibacy together with Benedict uh, in 2020. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Frankie was not happy with this, uh, as we re reported then. And uh, now Frankie actually has gotten rid of Robert Sarah as head of, and hold on for this, the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. <laughs> That's a business card. You have to have a very long business card to get that all in your... In your. <laughs> uh, so Robert Sarah is now out of the picture, which was not unexpected, I would say. We speculated about it already a year ago. And instead of just appointing a successor to this very important position... There will now be a so-called visitation to that congregation to conduct an investigation and to have interviews with the staff. Frankie has appointed an outside expert uh, consult to talk to the office staff and to review all the procedures within the in this uh, congregation. And, and this is now interpreted as uh, that Frankie wants to look over the organization and to identify who he can trust there before he goes forward with appointing a successor. So Frankie is looking over his empire. So that's that. And then one more thing. Finally, what is the stupidest thing Frankie did last week, you may ask? 
Well, last week was the 500-year anniversary of Magellan arriving to the Philippines. He promptly claimed the whole thing for the Spanish king, after which the native very promptly killed him in battle. So um, our friend the Pope, Franciscus the Wise, found it appropriate to post this on Twitter, and I quote, Dear brothers and sisters from the Philippines, he actually remembered the sisters this time, so good on him. <laughs> 500 years have passed since the Christian message first arrived in your land and you received the joy of the gospel. And this joy is evident in your people. Thank you for the joy you bring to the world. End quote. Holy colonialism, Batman. So he celebrates the fact and he wants them to celebrate the fact that once upon a time, somebody came and claimed their country for someone else. Mm, I don't think that was well thought of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Christian colonialism is not new at all. So it's just something that hasn't vanished over the times. But how can he be so tone deaf? He has no idea how that sounds to people who have been oppressed for the better part of 500 years. Say, congratulations. 500 years ago, we came and opposed our culture on you. Aren't you happy? Of course we are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm baffled. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. So that's <laughs> what's going on with uh, Frankie for this week. All right. Thanks very much, Pontus. Thank you. And let's see what's happening on the COVID-19 front first before we move on to the other news. We all know that there are lots of things happening on the COVID-19 front, but the elephant in the room is definitely the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. So what the heck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody knows. (laughs) And why can't these guys just pull their shits together? Come on. You know what happened last... uh, It it happened in the US, but I have to mention it. A large phase three trial was conducted in the US because the approval of their authorities could not be obtained based on the already existing data for lack of confidence or or something like that. Now it looks like they used outdated information in their analysis when they came out with the results of their US study. What the (laughs) actual... What? What were they thinking? Yeah. What were they thinking? Now, it's it's interesting because this is not peer-reviewed yet, is it? As we record this, is it? No, that one is not. No. Uh, But come on, guys. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we all remember that the, 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 the that one thing that that happened with the the pause in the rollout of the vaccine recently, when the investigation started into whether there's a causal link between the cases of blood clotting and the vaccine. Well, there was a very thorough analysis done by the safety committee of the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, and they've concluded that. A clear connection could not be established based on the data currently available. Mm -hmm. But they say that both the higher than expected number of these cases and the reports that are still coming in make it important to investigate the matter further. 
And those reports are coming in, for sure. But the number of cases still doesn't make it clear that any connection can be found. It's just, I'm pretty sure that it's just an effect of it being in the public eye. And that's why every country now feels the urge to report every single case of those blood clottings leading to death. But there is a, an emerging star among the anti-vax communities uh, that's a professor and chief physician of the Oslo University Hospital by the name Paul Andre Holme. And he's really becoming a, a bit of a star on, on social media uh, because he made a statement that when it comes to these blood clottings that happened, and I quote, nothing but the vaccine can explain why, end quote. Really? Uh... <laughs> it's not much of a skeptical or, or, or even a scientific approach, right? <sighs> Nothing but the vaccine can explain why. No good scientist ex expresses something like that. No. You you don't tell it like that. Because good You don't talk in absolutes. No, never. no you never talk in absolutes. Well put. So, so you don't do that. A, a good mm. scientist knows that there's always uncertainty and you you there's always some Yeah. You, you don't know. That's right. And they have a theory. Uh, him and his colleagues, that the condition was caused by a powerful immune response that was, in the first place, caused by the vaccine itself. So, obviously... You want a, an immune response. An immune response. Yes, you want that. Well, an immune response can trigger a couple of different things. So, it's not completely implausible that this could lead to blood clottings. No. But the data is not clear. But obviously, he is now being quoted by anti-vaxxers all over the place <laughs> mm. as the great hero who, who goes against the establishment and goes against all the, the lizard people who, who tried to kill us all. <laughs> but on the other hand, mm. the Norwegian Medicines Agency did not comment on this. As they said, and I quote again, we have to look at the results first. <laughs> Now, that's a responsible approach. That's the scientist talking, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Especially because now we see the trust in the vaccine declining like crazy. It has been shaken. And that set the vaccination schedules back by a large margin in the countries where it was all halted. And the EMA says that even if there is a link, the effect is so small that it's small enough that statistically speaking, it is still less risky to take the vaccine by several orders of magnitude when you compare it to getting the disease and going through that. Because yeah. blood clotting is a common cause of serious issues or even deaths in those getting ill with COVID. So you don't definitely don't want that. And some countries have since resumed their programs. But Finland, for example, just announced halting theirs for the same reason. They found something. So I don't know. I know it's a fine line because you want to be very cautious. You want to be clear that it's not harmful. You do, you're not doing any any more harm than you than than necessary. But it's such a damage that it caused to the public understanding of how this works because it was very poorly communicated by the countries. So I, I definitely think that it should have been better to just keep it back for a while while the, the investigations are being... But then on the other hand, you, you do understand that transparency is what the countries are aiming for, right? Because transparency is supposed to build trust. But there, there's a level of transparency that doesn't build trust. It just builds confusion, right? Yeah. And in a situation like the one that we are in worldwide, you definitely don't want 
confusion to be generated by anything. But I'm still wondering what's going on with the communication from AstraZeneca themselves, because that seems to be so messed up. If they are (laughs) repeatedly sending out numbers that are ripe for misinterpretation or say, you took that number from over here, but you said it was from over there, blah, blah, blah. So either they are totally incompetent in the communications department at AstraZeneca, or there is also, and maybe it's not either or, but I think that some forces here wants to sow uncertainty and hacks down on every little thing and maybe even spread misinformation about the information that maybe was better than you think it was. You know, it, it, this is getting very, very complex. Yeah. I wonder why AstraZeneca is so in the focus of every miscommunication there is. Yeah. That's an interesting question. Yeah. And we did touch on that. Yes, we did. Briefly on the last episode. Yeah. It's amazing that, that we try, we always try to avoid spreading conspiracy theories and coming up with one. <laughs> yes. But... <laughs> Since we do know that there have been meddlings with like election results and elections and trying to steer things towards their needs from the Russians or from from the Chinese government, who knows? Yeah, and they have a motive. They have a motive. They they have vaccines of their own that they would like to sell. So exactly. Exactly. Uh, very, very difficult here to to know. to know what is true. It is indeed. But I I think even though there there would be lots of things to talk about when it comes to COVID nineteen, I think this was the only thing that we definitely couldn't leave out uh, since we covered part of it last week. So we had to do a, a bit of a an update on that. So we'll we'll see. And in the meantime, here in my country, a couple of hundred thousand jabs have gotten lost. Ooh. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> it's a massive, a massive news item everywhere that Orban personally overviews the receiving of the Chinese vaccines. Like, I think it was 450,000 jabs. And we pay more for one jab of the Chinese vaccine than any country pays for any other vaccine. <laughs> because we order that through companies that have been established by by people, let's just say that close to the government. Ah, th- this is the same scheme that he has been doing all along, right? With all with along. EU uh, funds and stuff, channeling it through companies driven by his cousins or whatnot. He channeled it through a company that was established in the middle of 2020. Mm-hmm. So a, a company that founded back then and handles all the acquiring of the vaccines from from China. Isn't that amazing? Mm. And we, we're paying a lot. I mean, we're paying like 60-odd uh, euros or something. Wow. For two jabs. So oh, okay. more than two. 30 euros each. Right. That's more expensive. Yeah, I think the AstraZeneca one, isn't that like one euro 50 or something? Yeah, it's, it's very cheap. For jab. But I, th- I think the others are, are around, even though the higher ones are around f- the 15 euro mark or something. I'm, I'm not sure, but... I think just below that, 10 or 15. We, yeah, we yeah. actually... Yeah, yeah. We talked about that a couple of yeah. episodes ago, but I think 15 was the highest. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. we're paying six, uh, 68, if I remember correctly, right. for, for two jets. And then they get lost, you say? Yeah, and somehow <laughs> th- there, there are 
mismanagement of things and people get um, invited to get their jabs and uh, then turn back when when they go there and then when somebody just just walks in uh, they they can get their jabs so it's it's a total chaos it's oh. <laughs> absolute chaos mm. and for political reasons because next year is our election year i think it was about 300,000 jabs that have been given to uh, Hungarian people living outside of the borders of Hungary because they have a voting right now on their our parliamentary elections and they have a tendency to vote Fidesz, which is the governing party. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> this is my weekly uh, moment of ventilation about Orban. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're not an uh, Orban fan, you're an Orban van because you need to vent. I'm an Orban van. Oh my God. Okay, that's... <laughs> That means I should I should probably stop. Yeah, if the, if the right. stupid jokes are starting, then right. I think people got the message. It's a signal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got the message too. All right. So moving on. Let's see who else got the message, and uh, let's see what the news are around Europe from the world of skepticism. Well, me again. <laughs> <laughs> While uh, Prince Charles is uh, spreading the word about social prescribing in a message published in a future healthcare journal, and of course he's using it to paddle pseudoscience just as usual. Why is he an honorary fellow of the Royal College of Physicians anyway? Well, he's royal, maybe that's why. Yeah, but he's not a physician, come on. <laughs> yeah, he's <I'm>... a fellow. <laughs> and he's an honorary fellow, of course, but still. What does he have to do with physicians? No, nothing. Never mind. So, moving on. So, while he's doing that, Middlesex University seems to be on the right track to shake down the burden of pseudomedicine inside their walls. Woo-hoo. Well, the UK's biggest provider of homeopathy training is called the Centre for Homeopathic Education. And that's in Bloomsbury, and it's all happening under the umbrella of Middlesex University. The Times reports that when complaints started pouring in about the course for uh, spreading misinformation, you know what, that's that's what's happening when you're a homeopath, and encouraging people to to use homeopathic portions to protect against COVID-19 or even treat it, the university decided to immediately terminate their relationship. They claim that they have been on the way to phase the whole thing out, but now that they learned this, they immediately terminated their partnership. Good for them. What do you think the potions were made with? Nothing. So, treating COVID-19, what do you think? Cough drops. Like yours like. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget that. Yeah, so nothing. Right. Ah, phlegm. Oh, phlegm. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, of course, you want to use the bodily material of infected COVID-19 patients, right? Mm. (laughs) Not really, no, but... I mean, if you want to come up with a homeopathic potion that is supposed to cure COVID-19, that's what you need. (sighs) So, on their webinars, the Center for Homeopathic Education (laughs) bashed vaccination as something useless. And instead, the lecturers suggested students should buy or prepare those potions that I just mentioned. Good appetite. Yeah, fool. <laughs> uh, Robert Murphy, one of the lecturers, claimed on a recent webinar that even the most severe cases of COVID-19 can be prevented or even cured with these no-zotes. Yeah. And he knows this how? Now, that's outrageous. Yeah. By the way, the guy 
frequently gives lectures on 5G toxicity as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course, why not? Sod off, man. Sod off. M- more on that later. Yeah. 5G and, and all the like. See what I did there? More on, more on that. More on, more on. <laughs> I'm proud. <laughs> Thank you. So the decision to kick them the fuck out of, of the university is absolutely welcomed by the skeptical community. And of course, our friend Michael Marshall of the Good Thinking Society uh, weighed in on us as well. And uh, he, he was asked about this and he expressed his utter disapproval in his very sophisticated manner. Though Those who know Marsh, we know how nicely he can put these things. Hmm. And he did, again. But even the director of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, uh, Robbie Turner, reportedly said that the institution should not promote unproven medical practices because, and I quote, it is not just irresponsible, it's downright dangerous, end quote. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, when we need medicine, we need proper medicine. And tackling COVID is definitely one of those moments. It's neither proper or medicine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I have actually two news items uh, here about assisted death. Okay. So the one, the one first one comes from our friend in Spain called Bob, who sends us good news items once in a while. And this one is actually a good news. Uh, there was a new legislation introduced last week in Spain. And Spain has now become the fifth country in Europe and the seventh country in the world to legalize physician-assisted death and euthanasia for long-suffering patients. The others are, we have Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands and Switzerland. And then outside of Europe, we have Canada and Colombia. So, of course, it's regulated and and, uh, there are very strict rules about this, which there should be. So one is that the person must be capable and conscious when making the request and it has to be uh, formulated, quote, without external pressure, unquote. And it also has to be renewed 15 days later. So this is sort of a problem because sometimes people are so far gone that they cannot give their consent. But what can you do? You can't just go ahead and and put people to death if you don't know if they want to. The the second uh, criteria is that doctors may reject the request if they deem the criteria not to be met. They may also use a, quote, conscious objection, end quote, motive to refuse to perform the act. You can't force a doctor to to do this if they don't want to. Mm. And the third thing is uh, that the decision must be approved by another doctor and receive a green light from an evaluation committee. So so there are strict rules around it, as there should be, of course. Uh, this came, this new law came from the left-wing government and it was opposed by the conservatives and far-right politicians and they voted no. Uh, they also promised to overturn this new legislation in the future if the power structure changed in the, in the parliament. So we will see how it, how it goes. The, the Spanish Catholic Church wasn't too happy about this. They have vehemently condemned the reform comparing euthanasia to a form of homicide end quote and they said also quote the government has gone from defending life to being responsible for causing death Ooh. end quote dun, dun, dun. that's very strong language yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yes but you know i th- i've said before on this show that we treat our pets 
better than than uh, people in in some respect or in this respect that you know if you are suffering and there's nothing you can do it's just you know, okay now you just have to lay here for three months and have pains until you die then it is actually the most compassionate thing you can do is to help them to not have to go through that yeah that's right so i'm i'm all for that and the second news items on this um, topic is a follow-up from Sweden where we had before we talked about a doctor who uh, facilitated death in one case. And um, well, the, the full story is that the Swedish doctor helped a terminally ill patient who was scheduled to go to Switzerland to get his life terminated. It was all approved and legal, but... They couldn't do it because of COVID restrictions. There was travel restrictions, so he couldn't do it. So this Swedish doctor, who is called Stefan Bergström, he uh, supplied the patient with all the necessary things for him to do it on his own. And then he was in the room, but he stood back. He very clearly put his hands behind his back, so he didn't help. And he watched while the whole thing happened. And we reported uh, also that the legal procedures have been dropped against Bergström, so he has no risk of a legal trial for this. But now the question is if he will be allowed to keep his medical license. And the Health and Social Care Inspectorate, of the IVO in Swedish, uh, now recommends that he will lose his license because they say it was unlawful, which is strange because they haven't got any legal expertise and he was not prosecuted. But okay, they say it was unlawful and it was also against, quote, science and proven experience, end quote, which is a phrase used officially to describe what medical treatments must be and must be followed in Swedish healthcare. Mm. So now... It is up to the National Board of Health and Welfare to decide what will happen. And even if they say that he will lose his license, it's not the end of it because this ruling can be appealed to a regular court. So uh, we will probably have to come back to this for some time. Mm. But it is a very, very important discussion to have. It is indeed. Uh, what shall we do? What is the ethical, what is the moral thing to do about people who are suffering, are beyond help, and we can just watch them die? Shouldn't we just actually, as we usually say about pets, put them out of their misery in certain cases? Mm. Yeah, I think it's a very layered discussion. And it's very difficult to generalize. Because uh, like with physical um, illnesses, like that's my opinion, I should disclaim that. <laughs> yes, but with something like depression, for example, yeah, assisted yeah euthanasia with with uh, depression is something I would I would say is, is that's that's really hard, you know. So, so there are two things to consider here. First of all, whether the condition the person is in is curable or not. I mean, if it's curable, and you have to establish first, what is the chance of that person recovering from that condition? I'm not saying illness, because it could be several different things. So that's a scientific question. How far you can go in trying to assess the chances of that person recovering completely? I mean, when it comes to medical science, there's never enough certainty to do something like that. So I've heard of people that uh, doctors basically were ready to give up on 
And a couple of weeks later, the person walked out of the hospital. So uh, that's difficult to assess, first of all. The other thing is whether the person can have a clear enough mind in that situation to make that decision. And that is something that, that always comes up in these discussions. Because when you're in a terrible situation that looks absolutely devastating, and it, it, it is devastating, but it looks absolutely useless to, to go on with because you don't see the end of it, uh, you definitely want to just cut it short and get it over and done with. But what if you cannot really work out what your chances are and how much of a chance you get to go through with it and come out of the end at, at the end with a positive result and with a, with a normal life even? So that's that's always difficult. It's really not a clear-cut question. It's no, it's not, and it's it, in on one plane. It's not a scientific question because it's a question of moral and ethics. Yes, it is. What what do we want? Where 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 do we want to draw the line? And we don't want to create a catch twenty-two where if you're so depressed that you want to kill yourself, then you're not in your right state of mind to make a decision because that creates this catch 22 where you can never make the decision right yeah but there should be so how it can be made a scientific question is that if there can be rules established and the science can be clear as to how to assess the state of mind of a person so that you can find out whether it's just a temporary thing because of the condition or it's something that you, that cannot be helped yeah that i don't know so it is difficult. <laughs> it it is. is difficult. It is indeed. It is. I don't have all the answers. All I know is I don't want people to suffer for months and months when there's no That's right. chance of uh, recovery and they know it and we all know it and they're just in pain and they're asking to make this stop, please. Mm. Then we would, there has to be some way to make rules that you can say, okay, we'll end this now. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So, um, oh, that's it. It's a heavy <laughs> subject. I mean, I don't know. This is another podcast almost. Yeah. Yeah. But from heavy topics, I think we should come to topics that are don't really have a mess at all. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that is that Russian scientists are looking for the tiniest particles in the universe under um, Lake Baikal. Oh, that's where they keep them. I didn't, I wondered. <laughs> yeah, because they are they are so light that they would f just float away if you didn't put a lot of water and ice on them. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, we're just talking rubbish. Yeah, here. yeah. No, tell us how it is, Annika. <laughs> yeah. So they had a have a giant telescope um, that they installed in Lake Baikal in Siberia, and uh, it's designed to search for neutrinos which are subatomic particles with no electrical charge and almost no mass. <laughs> and they usually show very little interaction, so they're hard to detect. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, Lake Baikal is the deepest lake on Earth, so it's great to catch neutrinos, as there can't be much pollution from or interference from cosmic rays and other interferences. Mm -hmm. They put the nodes with which they want to catch the neutrinos um, about one kilometer deep in and about four kilometers away from the shore to um, catch a certain light that's given off when a neutrino passes through a clear medium like water. And this is the biggest instrument in uh, Baikal so far because it's half a cubic kilometer and it will also be used uh, to search for dark matter and other particles. 
And um, as of now, it's half the size of the Ice Cube South Pole Neutrino Observatory. <laughs> But yeah, the scientists want to expand uh, the Baikal telescope too. And they also have a lot of collaborating states in, from within Europe, which mm -hmm. yeah will be very exciting to see what will happen there. I'm just wondering what they will do with uh, the alien spaceship that is parked at the bottom of uh, Lake Baikal. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they can catch it too with with a neutrino <laughs> Isn't there aren't there sea monsters as well? Wasn't that in Loch Ness? I, I think I've heard yeah, about a lot that. of seals. Oh, there there are seals actually on on Lake Baikal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I don't know if they count as sea monsters, but um, oh. for the for the fish, they they definitely are. Oh. They have the Yeti. Okay, so from the lightest particle that has ever been detected. Let's move on to radiations and uh, radio frequencies. So uh, we hear a lot, and um, even on this episode, we already have mentioned several times 5G and uh, the 5G conspiracies. Well, uh, the question is always, especially by the anti-5G uh, people, whether it's harmful. Well, it's not it's not much of a question for them because they know it's harmful. <laughs> uh, but for for the rest of us, it's something that we've already known that it's not harmful. But uh, with science, there's there's no absolute certainty ever. So so it's very reassuring to get a confirmation time and again about things like the safety of five G networks. This one is somewhat unusual in that the two pieces of research that we cite here are coming from Australia. Australian researchers, but since we've been accused of being an Australian show recently, <laughs> uh, I, I don't see a problem with that. Besides, it holds special relevance to all of us, as Europe was hit really hard by the anti-5G sentiment, and it still lingers on. And the other thing is that these were review papers, which means that uh, they have collected uh, data from some several internationally conducted pieces of research. So, the two studies, done by the same team, have both been published on the Journal of Exposure Science and Environmental uh, Epidemiology. They were both reviews, as I already mentioned, of the research into whether low-level millimeter waves that are used in the latest and future 5G technologies pose any health risks. Uh, we're talking 6 gigahertz of frequency and above, which is only part of the 5G technology that's still being rolled out around the world, but the usual concerns expressed are those regarding these high-frequency radiations, because the lower frequencies have already been covered by a lot of research. So the answer is, I mean, to the question whether it is harmful to health, drumroll, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> no adverse health effects could be identified at all. They reviewed 107 experimental studies, both in vitro and in vivo, one of them an, an actual human study. And we all know this doesn't mean that the 5G scare is, is going anywhere, but it's, it's always good to stand on the solid grounds of science. On the other hand, another related piece of item uh, of news is that Retraction Watch just reported the retraction of a meta-analysis that was published in Experimental and Therapeutic Medicine, the conclusion of which was, and I quote, radio frequency radiation exposure significantly increased the risk of breast cancer, especially in women aged 50 or over, and in individuals who used electronic appliances such as mobile phones and computers, end quote. That was a meta-analysis? It was. Wow. 
are supposed to be supposedly one. Yeah, do, yeah yeah okay. well a meta-analysis can be a good one and can be an absolutely shitty one uh, should we just remind people what a meta-analysis is well a meta-analysis is when you basically do analysis of the uh currently available evidence published in different papers of the same field so you go through them and you don't only put together all the data that's been published on those papers, but you assess the quality of those pieces of research as well. Now, this was supposed to be a meta-analysis, but it wasn't. It wasn't even a proper review of the scientific literature. <laughs> but obviously, with this message, the, the anti-5G activists went nuts with the whole thing. And that paper was published back in November. Then came a researcher at the University of Bristol by the name Frank de Vocht. I don't know, probably Dutch. But, I, you know, being a European, it's always the first reaction for me to try to find out where he's from, what what, what, what his origin is. Uh, and it's not racism at all. I, I hope nobody uh, interprets it that, that way. It's it's curiosity and it's it's the love for cultural diversity. Never mind. Moving on. So he investigated, started investigating the matter and, and the study itself that it was, remind you, supposed to be a meta-analysis. He found absolutely ridiculous and obvious errors in this study. Out of the eight sources the paper had used, three didn't even involve radio frequency radiation in their material. <laughs> so, out of the other five, <laughs> there was another one that investigated the breast cancer occurrence in men. And remind you that the conclusion was regarding women <laughs> and uh -huh. those were only a couple of the serious issues with this paper it was a hoax from beginning to end then it, well absolutely the Vogt reported his fi findings to the journal which eventually retracted the paper a couple of days ago but again the misinformation is already out there and nobody in the anti-5g activist groups will ever care about the paper being now retracted no, right of course which is a shame but that's how it is that's just part of the conspiracy that they retracted exactly it, yeah? exactly so big 5g with some pressure managed to get rid of the big 5g uh, publication right yeah speaking of 5g that's actually part of the next uh, item as well okay. and this one was so nuts i thought actually it was a hoax to begin with but but i i'm convinced now that this is real there is a local Coca-Cola competitor in Norway called Tøyen Cola. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and Tøyen, by the way, is a district in the city of Oslo, in case you wonder. So the CEO and the majority owner of the company, some genius called Jarle Hollerud, <laughs> he decided that it would be a great idea to create awareness of all the conspiracy theories that he believes in by printing it on the labels of the cola bottles. Hey. As you do. <laughs> as you do. Yeah, yeah, as you do. That's, you know, <laughs> if you don't have access to Twitter, you can always do that. You, you create a company to, that produces soda bottles and you print your message on there. Uh, and you print it just between the quote-unquote bottled by information and the ingredients. And there it is now in the text. And I've just translated one word to English so that you can understand it. The rest of it is fairly, well, self-evident. So it says www.yourrights.covid.1984.5g.id2020.event201. <laughs> All right. So okay. it sort of looks like maybe... 
it is a uh, a web page because it starts by www, but then it just gets ridiculous. So I hope you get all the references there. Oh yeah, of course. A little bit of Big Brother there. Yeah, Big Brother, <laughs> 1984, 5G, like you mentioned. Yeah. ID 2020, I guess, refers to that you get ID marked by the vaccines with a little microchip. Mm-hmm, yeah. Maybe yeah. I think that's it. <laughs> Event 201. Do you know what that is? No, no, no. What's that? That was a uh, meeting uh, that was hosted by John Hopkins uh, and World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in October 2019. No need to say more. Right. So this is a real thing. There was a meeting in October 2019 to discuss possible responses by the world to a future pandemic. And of course, Mm. this has been interpreted that they knew there was a pandemic coming because they had planned it all along. Mm. That reminds me of the time like Scotty and I were on a walk outside. Good old times when you had had a walk outside, right? Yeah, that reminds (laughs) me of that. (laughs) Event (laughs) event 201. (laughs) No, Um, we saw a plane and the plane was carrying a banner behind it and that mm-hmm. was for a website like for a covid denial website oh boy no, oh boy no. so right. yeah no. ridiculous yeah <laughs> no because that, they, that that was the only plane that they could get a hold of because all the rest uh were busy uh, spreading chemtrails yes yes but exactly. we all know that these are the two only two ways of spreading misinformation <laughs> yes. either you plane. hire a plane or you start a cola company exactly. and you print it in small print on the yeah. label because we so, don't have any internet uh, it's it's really sad no, right. yeah that's right, right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I, I as i said i thought at first it was a hoax because it's so stupid but it, this story is in a reputable norwegian paper for the first one and i've also seen two different photographs of these bottles and if, if it was a hoax i think you could photoshop one image but why would you photoshop two different images that look almost the same so i think i think it's true and by the way I know it's true because uh, this paper interviewed the owner of this uh, company and he doubled down and began talking about 5G and how event no. 20 and you know event 201 and Bill Gates and you know all that nonsense. So there are now sensible people I guess who calls for a boycott of this beverage and it's a bil- big hullabaloo in Norway but I'm sure that there are some people who will agree with this and only buy this type of cola and uh, as i say that i i actually think that i want a bottle right now just (laughs) just to document it and to have it on a shelf as a reminder of how stupid people can be so if you're from norway (laughs) (laughs) yeah send it to us yes right very good and we want to taste as well we drink it live on the show yes absolutely yeah, yeah well, we've, got, we've got a collection of uh, different different cola-like drinks <laughs> do you know the uh, slovakian kofola no terrible drink <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. but does it contain 5g that is the question i don't know i don't know <laughs> all right so still staying with uh spreading of misinformation We've mentioned on recent episodes several cases when uh, Facebook had to face criticism or even legal action for for not standing up for reality and letting falsehoods spread like wildfire. Looks like Facebook is under heavy fire again, (laughs) this time in France, uh, where reporters uh, without borders just filed a lawsuit against them for failing to live up to their own terms of service. What parts of it exactly, you might ask? Mm -hmm. Uh, The part where Facebook claims to provide users with, and I quote, safe, 
secure and error-free, end quote, online environment, where it's impossible to share anything that is unlawful, misleading, discriminatory, or fraudulent. That was a quote again. And the reporters without borders say that it's a big fail, Facebook. <laughs> that, because according to them, Facebook allows disinformation and hate speech to flourish on its network, hatred in general, and hatred against journalists. They specifically name the French and Irish divisions of the tech giant, to be precise. And under EU law, they can actually be sued for failing to protect users against deceptive business practices. What can we expect from this? First of all, we have no idea what the outcome of the trial will be of, of this lawsuit. But anyhow, not much. In theory, they could be fined as much as 10% of their average annual turnover, which could amount to hundreds of millions of euros, because it's Facebook. <laughs> Do you know if that <laughs> is global turnover or just a turnover in France? Yeah, that's that's what I'd like to know as it's well. It's hard to distinguish. I'm pretty sure that it doesn't have different companies established in the different countries. So there's no Facebook France as a different company, I'm sure. They probably have a, a, a European headquarter in Ireland. A lot of them have. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the accounts are separated no, from, from the global accounts. So I'm I'm not sure about that. But anyhow, it's very doubtful that it could actually happen. <laughs> that, that they could be fined that much. So what's the basis for the lawsuit? Uh, there is a French non-profit anti-disinformation organization that is called First Draft. I think we've already mentioned that some time ago. Never mind, but th th they recently called Facebook a hub of vaccine conspiracy theories especially in French-speaking communities. But that was not the only source that uh, raised concerns about Facebook's activities in, in spreading and, and Facebook's hand in, in spreading misinformation. So the Guardian article mentions uh, a number of different research pieces that were cited by the lawsuit that indicated how EU citizens were negatively affected by Facebook's deceptive practice. Well, we can't do anything about this. We just have to wait and see how this one plays out. But I have my doubts, mm. to be honest. Mm. Facebook always seems to get away with it. Hmm. I, I hope this time it won't happen, but um, I don't know. But that's just a, an, another one of the, the many, many cases against Facebook recently, right? I wouldn't want to be uh, Zuckerberg right now. <laughs> I mean, if not for the money that he has. Yeah, and um, there's even more out to, to bash misinformation right now. Good, good. Let's do that. Yeah, because um, El Oficio de la Duda is out. <laughs> El Oficio de la Duda. <laughs> yeah, by um, Jose Blanca. <laughs> and I hope I didn't butcher that too much. <laughs> it's a new book available online for, uh, for free in Spanish. And it's about science and philosophy. And it's pretty much an introduction to philosophy, to the philosophy of science. And um, as we depend on science and technology for... Um, Yeah, in our normal life, like for health, for food, for transport, you name it. It's important to know what what are the characteristics of scientific knowledge and what are the strengths and weaknesses. Um, when can we trust which expert and mm -hmm. when shall we make up our own mind? As we as skeptics would probably say, like, always make up your own mind, but also trust scientific consensus. But um, in this book, all of these questions will be addressed And you will follow the development of philosophical ideas um, from classical Greece until 
today and until uh, to, until modern science. Okay. So it sounds like an exciting read, and if my Spanish would be better, I would definitely read it too. <laughs> yeah, but tell me one thing: what does it all have to do with the Polish president? That's a <laughs> the office of the Polish <laughs> president. What the fuck? That's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> we should we should ask our Spanish <laughs> friends if they have a doubt in that regard. <laughs> so uh, apparently, duda means doubt yeah. in Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> it must be related to the dubium that I talked about. Yeah. Uh, I thought the, that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. We love languages, yes, don't we? we? We said that before, <laughs> yes. And Duda will come back later on on Duda, this episode. Duda. <laughs> Can't wait. But actually, that was the last of the news items that we have prepared for this week. So why don't we move on to finding out who's been really wrong or really right this week? Yes, so for today's shaming we go, if I may say so, to the outskirts of Europe because we have been so focused on Europe itself like uh, we have the Putins, we have the Orbans and the Dudas to think about but I think we have neglected Erdogan. He is still there and he's cooking up mischief and violations of people's rights. (laughs) So just that we don't forget about him. He decided that women have all these annoying privileges that need to be held back. And the way to do that is to revoke Turkey's ratification of the Istanbul Convention, no less. You would think that he would care just a little bit more about a treaty that was actually named after the largest city in his own country. But this is, of course, a concession to the religious feelings in his own Islamic-oriented party. Um, You see, making sure women doesn't get abused or violated by their husbands is a threat to Turkish families. What if your wife decides she doesn't want to be beaten anymore and she just decides to leave? Then what happens to the family? Erdogan has in the past repeatedly stressed the holiness of the family and called on women to have three children. Three? I guess no more, no less. That's okay. the purpose of a woman. So, Annika. Take your notes. Take notes. <laughs> You're down to two left, so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just to please Erdogan, I'll be like... Yeah. Yeah, because it is it is of course <laughs> men who has to decide what women want to do. Uh, you you've got three. You you did it. Yes. But yeah. I mean that was uh, that was wanted yeah. to please Erwan too. <laughs> <laughs> no. Consent was involved all the way. That's good to know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Rights groups uh, say uh, violence against uh, and killing of women is actually on the rise in Turkey, but the interior minister called that a complete lie on Saturday. The justice minister, uh, Mr. Abdul Hamid Gul, he said uh, for his part that, quote, we continue to protect our people's honor, the family and our social fabric with determination, end quote. But that to me sounds more like a threat than making sure that women has a, <laughs> has a good uh, uh, society to live in. Uh, and this is terrible stuff, in my opinion. It's a step backwards for human decency. Please don't do this, uh, leaders of the world. Don't withdraw your ratification of this treaty, which is aimed to protect uh, women's rights. So... For being a misogynistic fuckwit, Recep Tayyip Erdogan gets today's prize 
for being really wrong. Well deserved. Yeah, another one of Orban's good friends. Yes, indeed. Speaking of European leaders that should know better, I already mentioned Duda. We all did a couple of times this episode. The doubt. Uh, that is, of course, Andrzej Duda, president of Poland. And this news item came from one of our patrons, and he's called Przemysław. And he, Duda, sort of, quote-unquote, congratulated Biden on his presidential election win, but phrased it so that it heavily implied that the election was stolen from Trump. <laughs> well, a Polish writer called Jakub Sulcik commented on that and called Duda a, quote-unquote, moron, which he is. So now uh, he is facing a possible prison sentence for having insulted Duda. And that is, of course, outrageous. But for his courage to stand up against the president that believes in and spreads conspiracy theories like that, I would like to give Jakub Sulcik today's prize for being really right. Also well-deserved. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, what's really outrageous about this is that you can actually go to prison for name-calling the president. Yes. That is outrageous. I mean, we're in freaking Europe. We're not in a Southeast Asian monarchy. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and so like a sentence like this, that is like totally a sign for a good democracy, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which Poland is famous for mm. anyway. So, uh, yeah, just like a couple of other countries like Turkey and Hungary. So, uh, well, good job. <laughs> but we do congratulate Jakub Zulcik on that. And uh, thanks for the finds, Pontus. And that marks the end of our show, basically. But before we go, we do have to share a quote, right? And this quote is from a writer that we all know. And uh, for his writings, we definitely like him. Uh, for his recent activities... Probably not so much. Uh, that is Richard Dawkins, who will celebrate his birthday on the 26th of March, which is basically the day this show is supposed to go out. And the quote is, If you want to do evil, science provides the most powerful weapons to do evil. But equally, if you want to do good, science puts into your hands the most powerful tools to do so. The trick is to want the right things. Then science will provide you with the most effective methods of achieving them. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. True. Okay. <laughs> Good. That's right. And this is why I always say when people uh, uh, argue that there are terrible things that science have done, look at the atomic bomb. Oh. No, the atomic bomb was not the disaster of science. It was an amazing achievement of science. The fact that it was actually used. Now, that's a terrible political decision. That's right. It was basically a massacre and that should have been punished on, on an international court. But uh, for some reason, the leaders of the US managed to avoid that. Truman, was it? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it, science was only the means to get there. The decision was not made by science. All right. But on that positive note, I'd like to end the show by thanking both of you, Anika and Pontus. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank also our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. 
The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe boom that's just the new one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just improvised. <laughs> we play it backwards or something. Anyway. <laughs> Pope Francis' ban on blessing... Uh, sorry. Pop. Let's start again. It's pop. 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 Francis. Pop. Pop. Francis. Pop. 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 Goes my heart. Okay. <laughs> Silly movie. Okay. EU citizens were negatively affected by Facebook's fake book. Fake book. Did you say fake book? Fake book. Yeah, I think I said fake book. Good. Sorry. Digging the hole. But with that. Okay, Andros, put us out of our misery now. I am. I am going to. This this euthanasia called for for this episode. (laughs) Please, please take us out to the other side.